my parents had careers where you go to work, you know the people at your work, you go home. You might have, people might have church, they might have this, but I knew I wanted to be in the community that I was participating in. And in order to do that, you've got to be proactive enough to get outside of your bubble. My efforts in meeting lots of people over time led me to meet a handful of centurions that said, you need to go into this. Not so much for meeting people, but because if you're going to be a learn leader in the city and you're going to push for change, you need to know how it operates. In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun about all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Mark Schaefer. Mark is a certified financial planner and the CEO and principal of Searcy Financial Services Incorporated. He is also an accredited investment fiduciary and an enrolled agent with the IRS. Mark earned a Bachelor of Science degree in personal finance and personal financial planning with minors in business administration and economics from Kansas State University. You can learn more about Mark at searcyfinancial.com. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Mark. Mark, uh, thank you for joining me on the corporate couch this December 15, 2023, getting ready for the holiday and Christmas season. So thank you for coming on today. Yep, glad to be here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we go back uh, to the Introducing Awesome Peer Advisory Group uh, that Mick Johnson uh, started, um, which I believe is 2015. I did not go back, but uh, uh, we had a great group and uh, you were one of the several people I stayed in touch with and became friends with. So even more so afterwards, it was uh, we connected better even after the group. Yeah, totally. Because we figured, hey, we saw each other once a month. <laughs> we, yeah, true. We didn't have to. But uh, yeah, I'm very excited uh, to get into your career. And um, it's always love to start with a fun question. So even those people that know you fairly well, not your best friends or your family members, but fairly well, what one thing about you would surprise them? I guess in high school and my family was really into motorcycles. So um, I raced motocross in high school. Um, and did it out south of Topeka, where I grew up at Linden, Kansas. So most Sundays were spent at the racetrack um, through high school. And that was kind of my hobby. And my parents, both of them at the time at Harley Davidson's, they'd ride their Harley down. I'd borrow my dad's truck and he'd make me pay him $15 wear and tear on the truck every Sunday because that's who my dad was, um, but took it down to the racetrack and uh, had a really fun time. So that was really uh, a fun activity I did for a while. So people that don't know me, but look at my senior photo from back then. It's uh, me with a motorcycle and bleached out hair and a gold chain and Fox gear 
and then my number was also 420 which was a joke back then but oh wow. it was an in- interesting lifestyle oh, back wow. then <laughs> well but i I, th- I i knew a little bit about the motocross i didn't know your parents had harleys that that's phenomenal yeah, yeah, they uh they did the Sturgis thing for a while, but they were the trailered up type and uh rode it up rode rode them about 30 minutes outside of Sturgis rather than ride them up from Topeka. Um but that was kind of their deal and actually my mom got rear-ended uh coming home from a race one day. Not bad, but uh oh, wow. it, it was my mom's midlife crisis to get one and follow my dad, so it was kind of fun to see them do that together for a while. Yeah, that's interesting, that Sturgis strategy, because I, I did that with uh, marathons. I've completed five marathons, but yeah. I started on mile marker 25. So, uh, Yeah, I, I guess I've done that, too. That's good. <laughs> uh, I, I thought you were going to say your senior pitcher, you were you're like scratched up, you know, you had uh, you broken know, arm, road burns yeah. or, you know, uh, or something. Never like still things. never broken a bone, uh, even in races and all wow. the other craziness in life. So that's uh, another interesting fact. Hopefully I didn't jinx myself. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you didn't. Um, so what, what else was fun for you growing up as a child in Topeka? What did you love doing? Yeah, uh, I was the outdoor kid that lived on a dead end. So it was really nice to be at the edge of a a dead end with the field. Um, So the reason I had a motorcycle was because I could take it from the garage right outside. Um, And along with that, as a kid, you know, you had the outdoor forts, you had uh, spin outside all day. You also had the um, obsession with fire. So I got in trouble with making fires as, you know, an eight year old and almost burning down the whole neighborhood. But um, (laughs) everybody survived. But it was a a fun outdoor area because I lived north of Topeka uh, about 20 minutes. I went to Seaman High School. So um, it's a good place to grow up. I'm glad I am no longer there. Right. The the capital of Kansas. There we go. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very nice. Um, so uh, you're one of the few guests that really knew what they wanted to do in college. So, and we'll get to that. But what, when you were young and growing up, what, did you have aspirations of, hey, when I'm an adult, I want to do this? What was this for you? Yeah, my my parents, um, I don't come from a history of going to college. My parents didn't go to college. I take that back. My mom did, but never finished. And so it was always, you're going to go to college and you're going to be a student of some profession. Um, And I didn't really understand the sales profession, not that I'm in there now, but everybody's in sales when you get down to it. But at the time I was real good at math and uh, my parents told me engineering was the way to go. Um, So I was raised to kind of look into engineering, which led me to K-State, right? Um, Fast forward, that was not for me, not because I failed out of it, but because of the commitment of what it took to become an engineer at K-State. It's just uh, studio time. And I was interested, more background into that, I had an obsession with man-made things. So if you think about buildings and bridges, uh, the pyramids, you could say, I, I kind of, that led into some of my international travel later on in life to appreciate architecture. But I thought it would be uh, amazing to design things like that. Hong Kong is one of my favorite cities, but it's got a man-made island where their airport is. And that just blows me away about things that can be created. And everybody asks me if you're obsessed with that or have you been to Dubai and I haven't been there yet but but it's on a list but uh since my parents didn't go to college it was that was just what you were going to do um and since they didn't have experience like a lot of friends nowadays and even the clients I'm advising it's amazing what people do prepping their 
uh, even, you know, they're seventh grader to get ready for college early, but even the touring of college is now all over the country. For me, it was KU's 20 minutes from Topeka and K-State's an hour. So you get to pick. Um, and it, it worked out just fine. Um, my parents were more KU fans. I'm the K-Stater now. That's the odd uh, duck in the family, but uh, it's created some fun rivalry as well. Yeah, Mark saying he's a K-Stater uh, is a, a gross understatement. It, you know, when he bleeds, it, it comes out purple, the K-State colors. So um, it's true. So you started at K-State as an engineering major. That was you. You declared it as an engineer. Uh, yep. Matter of fact, um, I even lived in for the K-Staters that know Marlat Hall. Fifth floor was freshmen, engineers, very different type of people. <laughs> right. So um, it, it's uh, the quiet hall. It was an all guys dorm, which was fine, but was uh, a different experience than a lot of other people had going to the being Greek and going through that whole process. Right. Uh, so it's for more of the serious people that are are going to be committed to engineering. Um didn't last much longer than a half a semester. <laughs> so after after your fall semester, you declared you went into the financial planning. Uh, yeah. So you might not know this story. My parents, uh, I'm an only child, did a good job of saving what I thought was a lot of money as an 18 year old. Right. Any amount of money is a lot of money. Um, they said you can have the money we saved for you to go to college because for me, I got a scholarship on academics. So long as I kept like a 3.5, it was pretty much a full ride, which back then it wasn't a lot of money to have a full ride, you know, like maybe uh, $12,000 a year for tuition and room and board or 12 to 15. Um, and so that was actually for engineering through Southwestern Bell is where my mom went. Even though I didn't stay in engineering, I got to keep it all four years. But because they gave me a small pile of money, they said, meet with our advisor. You should probably figure out what you're going to do with this little bit of money to be responsible with it. Um, and I met with their advisor through Edward Jones. Oddly enough, uh, this was a Topeka advisor, and he's probably he's probably my age now. When I was meeting with him as a you know an eighteen year old, and um, he talked about investments and long term and stuff that I didn't know about at the time because personal finance in high school wasn't really a thing like it is now. Um, but that gave me the interest. I would love to do it. This this seems like a younger guy uh, in a profession seemed to like what he did. I I, I want to do that. Um, so oddly enough, just the knowing that that's what I wanted to do changed out of the college of engineering into the college of business. And, um, that is not where I graduated from. It was actually, um, through an honor society at K-State that I met the Dean of the college of health and human sciences and my major at K-State, the degree on my wall actually says family studies and human services. It's now called, uh, personal financial planning, but my degree is in exactly what I'm doing now in terms of advising people on family relationships, money type therapy. I'm not a therapist, but the dynamics of going into kind of understanding how people tick and what drives them and what roadblocks they have in front of them because of a past, uh, that's the part that you help people with most because at the end of the day, the commodity part of it's the investment management. I like to say we do it better than everybody else, but there's no guarantee in investment returns. So when everything's a commodity, you know, the value is the difference in what people are finding. But that degree has been um, really helpful for me and what I'm doing now with helping families. But people think it's crazy because uh, if you're a case stater, it was in Justin Hall. Uh, Justin Hall for it wasn't called family. It was, the college used to be called um, Home Economics. And so when people think of home economics, they think of 
women. So it was the college with 90% women and then a few guys. Um, it's now transitioned to having kinesiology and um, basic nutrition and some other majors in it. But uh, I'm really proud of that degree because it's totally different than just knowing business, um, which is important too. What great parenting by your parents to turn you on and, and uh, to that financial advisor to because there's no learning like real life, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to meet and got, you know, change it really changed your whole life that one meeting. Yeah. I mean, yep. yeah. And back back then it wasn't tied up in 529 plans that could only be used for qualified education expenses. So it was just a brokerage account, do whatever you want right. with it. So I was I was stupid too. I bought Instead of having the motorcycle, I raced and I had the street bike, the, the crotch rocket that was fun to have on campus to get around. I bought one of those and, and, and then I bought a new car. So I was a little irresponsible with it, but kind of learned um, what you leave alone can grow and significantly. So um, it was kind of nice to be able to use it to leverage, get a loan. I learned not to, have, you know, to avoid credit cards. So this advisor you know, educated an 18-year-old the way they needed to, but also didn't put up the roadblocks on allowing me to make none of those were mistakes but um they they lean towards experience which is fun too when you have money at 18 through really in your 20s you you do stupid shit with it <laughs> yep yep <laughs> nothing i regret so it's good yeah the the crotch rocket nice running around aggieville i'll have to send you some good pictures of that one in addition to the senior photo with the with them the motocross bike so you graduate from K-State, the little Apple, and uh, how to tell us about your first job out of college and how'd you get it? Yeah, that's a fun story. I thought that I wanted to go away. You know, Kansas City's not that far from Topeka. Um, and so what my friends did is we got in the car and uh, thought of it as a career day in Dallas. It was more of a drinking trip to Dallas. Um, and so that was very interesting. We went down there to a financial planning association meeting, um, met up with friends that were prior graduates in the program down there. Um, I think we made it to the FPA meeting for all of two hours. You know, it was a two-day conference. Uh, but it was there that I met a K-State alum who graduated from financial planning a year or two before me. Um, but she had started a business on helping placing financial planning students or people that had graduated or were interested in the financial services industry with jobs and um, kind of made friends with her. And she actually found me a few opportunities. I interviewed in Des Moines. Um, I really wanted to go to San Diego and had some conversations with the company there. And then it also led to a conversation with a company in St. Louis. Um, and I ended up in St. Louis for my first job, um, which was interesting. I uh, didn't know anybody at all there. Um, I kind of graduated K-State. I felt like I came to, a, came to like you're in a haze and all of a sudden I'm in St. Louis and I'm like, oh yeah, I don't know anybody here. Um, so for me, that was an interesting wake up call. And it wasn't that I didn't like St. Louis. It was just hard to get started. Maybe that city's harder to start in as somebody from somewhere else. I kind of tell that story. But um, I worked at a financial planning firm as an associate um, for three guys that broke off of Axe Advisors that were great salesmen, not great financial planners. They are great people and they are great financial planning. They're doing very well now, but it was them three and a secretary and me. And since they uh, 
they wanted me to do the financial planning. They said, just take it, run with it. You learned in college, right? So um, although they're great guys, there wasn't really the mentorship or the training or anything like that. Um, but what was really nice was because they didn't have formalized processes and it was so new. I think at that time it was three or four years old. They said, make this whatever you want. And I thought, well, I, I need to get credentialed. <laughs> so studying at work, not having to do it at night, like I know people on my team have to do now because we have work for them to do. I was able to get through a lot that first year in addition to working at a bar, which was three buildings down from where I did the financial planning job, got off work at four and then walked down and put an outfit on for waiting tables and bartending at a bar called CJ Muggs. So I was, they didn't know anybody. I might as well work and make some money. And the people at the bar became my friends. Um, so that was, that was a good experience because in that first year, um, I had fun meeting those people, uh, but it's that weird phase of you don't want to grow up and you have a real job, but you're meeting people that people who work at a bar aren't really career people sometimes. Um, so there were times I ended up late at night in East St. Louis and that's stories for another time. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, I There's will a... tell you that that first year was able to pass, um, my CFP series seven, series 65 and life, health and accident insurance licenses. So it was like busy studying and working and kind of getting the framework for transitioning next. But um, I lasted just under a year in St. Louis. Wow. Yeah. There's a dance club in East St. Louis. Uh, you know, they do dances. Uh, They're PTs, I think. I, I there's have... a lot of them right across the river. Some interesting places that uh, they close down at 8 a.m. <laughs> different, different laws in Illinois than St. Missouri. Right. Yeah. It's East St. Louis, but it's in Illinois, right? Yes. Uh, yes. Funny. At CJ Muggs, any of the clientele that you served and uh, became to, and you knew them, did any become clients? Not one. Okay. Uh, my role wasn't in uh, sales at the time. And oddly enough, um, I didn't feel like now I think about what I do today and meeting with clients right, daily, right? There, I think the partners were more out meeting. So I don't remember a ton of traffic in our office for meetings. So, and this was also seven, 18 years ago. So I don't remember it as well, but, um, it, and I didn't get the experience of sitting in with client meetings. Like we're trying to give our new team members where I'm at now. So it's, it's interesting. I don't know what I did the whole time studied and passed tests, I guess, right. which worked out well, but it was a, a different experience, uh, than what I had when I transitioned to Searcy. So, um, Interesting. I mean, what a great opportunity. They they basically said do the financial planning for their clients, right? That was your job as well as studying for yep. uh, their, your certifications. So uh, I'm, the economy was really good then, right? So you, oh, yeah. you probably looked really good to them True. and your clients just because, you know, yep. it was a great economy. So it, it wasn't hard to have success so you fall into it almost yes. yeah a little bit yeah interesting but yeah well i mean it was great i mean that's wonderful so how did you, after your time there when did you decide oh. to come to come to kansas city how'd you end up at cersei yeah so i was in college um the program took students up to kansas city uh, probably a couple times a semester to go to what's called the financial planning association chapter meeting um it's interesting because Fast forward, I've, I've been president of that organization now. I'm still involved. You're going to be my guest in January at the meeting, so that's going to be fun too. That's right. Um, but I would go there as a student, and they encourage us, don't sit with your friends. Uh, so I sat at a table with Mr. Mike Searcy and uh, got to know him. I still have the business card because I keep them and write information on the back of who I met. 
Um, and I, I saw him drive away. I remember it because Mike was particularly proud. He drove um, a little Mercedes SL550 at the time, which was uh, like a the Mercedes Corvette, tiny car convertible. And I was like, that guy must do really well. I want to learn more from him. Uh, but, you know, if you know Mike, he said, why would I hire you? You don't have any experience <laughs> when I met him my senior year. So there was no come in for a meeting or an interview or get to know the company. Um, but I kind of took that as a, uh, I'll prove you wrong. Like uh, there's gotta be experience. But what I did do was call him a year later. I met him. So this was probably in December. And I said, I'd love to come back to Kansas city. Uh, I have six months of experience in St. Louis and passed a couple of tests. Um, and he goes, let's talk. <laughs> and so that opened up the door and I was actually interviewing at another job and life could end up really a lot different too. in Lawrence, I just knew I wanted to come back closer. Um, and ended up Searcy was the place where I land. But the reason that I like the independent financial services companies from the beginning, and I could have gone to Edward Jones and Edward Jones is where I, you know, had my money invested. I had my advisor I actually did an internship in Manhattan for two years for a different advisor than was mine because you can't work for the one you have your money with. It's, I, I wanted to go somewhere where there was a chance for ownership in the future because I think that's the real way to build wealth um, is through ownership in a business and, and choosing your spouse wisely helps too. Um, but I knew that it was hard to become an owner at Edward Jones and there is a structure now and I've learned more about it. But they, at the time, wanted you to door knock and bring on business. And if you failed at that, you weren't to find it. You just didn't, you went somewhere else, right? And so you could be a great financial planner, terrible salesman, but there's so many people that would leave my industry altogether because they just couldn't convince someone door to door knocking that they should do business with them. So I just wanted to avoid any of that failure altogether and go somewhere where I could um, get some mentorship and training, which I did not get at the firm in St. Louis, but moved to, to Kansas City with Mike Searcy and the, the small team we had then. And it was the total opposite. We need help. We're busy. We're growing. Drink from the fire hose and help wherever, however you can. And that I learned a lot in the first year that probably some people learn in three years. And that, that I liked at the time um, because I, you know, didn't have a spouse, didn't have kids. What do you do? You And, and I did not have a bar job at that time. So I, I worked when I'm not playing, I was working. That was my motto for a long time. A theme that comes up twice, uh, at least, uh, what you said. So you met a former K-Stater in Dallas on your, you know, uh, kind of guy's trip down there to do some career research. And that got you the first job. So through a relationship. And then you met Mike, you know, in college and True. then reached out to him. So you're one of the best relationship builders, I, I believe, in Kansas City. You know, you meet with it could be somebody that's, you know, may need help because they just spent 30 years at a large company or small company. And now they're out on their own where you can, you know, possibly help them as a client or a recent college graduate that needs advice, uh, whether in your field or any field and everything in between. So what how did you build that desire and want to really help other people and, and network and build relationships. That's I, I don't know where that source started. Um, I will tell you, and maybe it leads into it. My parents worked at jobs that they didn't really like, that they were in a race to be done with. Um, great jobs. They just, it was a job. It wasn't like a passion, right? 
And my dad built tires, a Goodyear tire company, a union worker, got a great pension and retirement. I think he retired at 56. My mom worked for 30 years at Southwestern Bell, like her mother did. And my grandfather also worked at Goodyear. So the kind of the tradition of going into these things that are good jobs, but not you're just clocking in and clocking out was kind of the way I saw it. In addition to that, it wasn't so much of a social job where you're meeting people. And my dad was an assembly line, right? And so I thought, I don't want to get into something where I'm in a race to be done. I want to get in something where it's relationship-based, it's with people. I get satisfaction by getting to know them better. And then you heard the quote, I forget who says that if you help enough people get what you want, you get what, what they want, you get what you want. Um, there's a lot of truth and yes. And so it's, I kind of adopted that mentality and decided to go into a relationship type business. And since I'm, you know, this, I'm really not a salesperson. I'm a, I like to just say, I like to connect people and resources and let the sales take care of itself. And the wonderful part about where I'm at, where I've been at is if we didn't bring on any business, I'm not getting, nobody's getting fired. I mean, what I'm trying to do now is create a culture of helping people and sometimes it takes longer for that to lead to business growth, but we're not going anywhere. So just help people and just let it happen. And if you if something fails, you, you fail forward, right? So um, part of it is just the way I was raised in a small family as a single, you know, only child. I also out looked out to other bigger families, and this is why I kind of want a bigger family myself. And you know, Bridget and I've been working on that because um, I, I just had small family, no drama. You know, families that don't have drama love my family, but it's boring. <laughs> so <laughs> I always went to the families that had the issues, the dynamics and the, and I kind of uh, lo loved that, even though some of it was uh, drama. Um, but I think that's kind of uh, where I fell into figuring out if you, if you help the people you get, the biggest satisfaction isn't, you know, delivering a good return on money. It's that you made a difference. Uh, and a lot of people will say that, but it's a career of making difference in people's life outside of finances too. So I know you're an avid reader and you're always trying to improve yourself in, in, in all your facets and your roles in, in your life. Was there a book in your early 20s that really impacted you? Um, I'm looking at some books over here. Uh, you know, my mentor, who was the dean at K-State, Bill Meredith, he had me read Think and Grow Rich and Napoleon Hill. That's a lot of people's first book and step into personal development. So I would say it was that one. Um if you know Dan O'Dell, this was years later, he had a book review on The Greatest Salesman in the World, which is by Og Mandino, and it has nothing to do with being a great salesman. If you read the book, you'll find out. That's another big one. And then probably in the last six years, Promptings is a book. Have you heard of that one? No. Um, it's it's by the uh, founder of Send Out Cards. So you can imagine that the prompting is send a note when you get a prompt. But the whole premise of the book is act on everything that you get prompted to do and you get pleasantly surprised and it doesn't have to be a personal note. it could be calling and telling your parents you love them or um sending little personal gifts um giftology is a book i like for the ideas on the nice things i do for people that kind of um make them say wow he cares um because the other quote is uh, people don't know much you know until they know much you care so I, I just said a lot of books, but um, self-development has kind of been uh, a practice of mine just because I enjoy it. My wife wishes I learned or read less of those or read more for fun. But here's the one on my desk now, 10 times is easier than two times. Right. <laughs> End yeah, of year well, goals for the yeah. company and everything. So it's some good stuff in the future, but that's 
that's a little uh I'm in the phase of trying to figure out how to balance time with family life too so grinding maybe not uh as much fun as it used to be for me yeah let's let's chat a little bit about that I mean what advice you you had children later in life than I will say the average person uh what I mean tell us Tell the audience a little bit about how you, you know, you're, you're in this certain uh, routine for years professionally and, and personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later in life, you have your first child. How did that, mm-hmm. what was that dynamic and how, you know, how did you um, adjust to it uh, as an older adult having yeah. a first child? Uh, dating in Kansas City can be interesting. Um, and you heard me say it earlier, choosing your spouse is often a a financial success or it can wear you down. And uh, it's no secret that Mike Searcy went through a divorce when I started working for his company. So I saw that him, how that impacted him, not only financially, but just emotionally, psychology, you know, all of it, it slows down your business because your ability to want to meet new people and keep growing. Um, But I probably dated the wrong people for a while and realized that and also probably had an issue at one time of it wasn't uncommon for me to be at the office on a Tuesday night at 11 p.m. still working. And I might go run and then run an errand and eat dinner and then go back. And part of that was because I was having roommates at a house I lived in and I didn't want to be around roommates. <laughs> that's that's a whole nother story. Um, but I was also kind of married to my work and I, I kind of wondered, I must have been around, I'm 41 now, probably in my 32 or 33 Am I going to wake up like this when I'm 45? Because at that time, most of my friends were starting to have kids, less spending time with, you know, things change. And I met Kay Blonde, who I also know, you know, and she's a life coach. And for me, I was meeting with other sales coaches at the time, executive coaches, and life coaching uh, was interesting to me because it's a well-rounded life. Sales, finances, all of that was going really well. But if I continued down that route, then I might have this career success, but not anybody to share it with, which is fine for some people. I just knew I wanted someone to share it with. And as an only child, I knew I wanted to have a family. Um, but Kate, interesting enough, took me through uh, a lot of exercises. The first year I met her, made fun of me for some of the girls I dated. Schaefer, what are you doing? I was like, I'm still having fun. Um, but she said, you really need to get clarity around what you want life to look like and who you want it to be. And at the time I, I didn't realize that I wanted someone that had their own career and was more independent. That sounds bad. My wife's, I, I dated needy people, I guess is a, a way to say it. Um, and my wife, we spend time together, but she's got a successful career. Um, I love that she likes what she does, even though we went through a pandemic and her job was not fun for a pandemic. She was dedicated to what she did. Um, so th- that part of it was now I can continue to grow the, the the business the way I want to and commit to a career, maybe work a lot because I'm still in that phase of life, but also meet someone. And it was a priority that they didn't already have kids. They weren't already married. I mean, I could have done that, but I knew there were things like that and wanted to have kids. So everything Kay had me write down um, for a priority, healthy, non-smoker, you know, those little things. And then I met Bridget. And it was uh, pretty easy and obvious that we would work out for the long term Um, in this town. When we met, the other thing you probably know, Jeff, in this town, you meet somebody and you already have 50 mutual connections. right? Right. And so when I met Bridget, we had a few, but not a lot. And so it was really fun. Um, I lived in South Overland Park. She thought South Kansas City was 51st in Maine. 
she worked in independence, like, you know, there's this divide. She's Missouri. I'm Kansas. She's from St. Louis. Um, totally new friend group. She's still at the phase of drinking and having fun, which I was in at the time. We kid that we met five years before that we probably wouldn't have gotten married. Um, but I, I credit Kay to kind of directing me and making it a priority. And oddly enough, through life coaching, you know, this is you, you write the wheel and the important things are relationship, uh, family, spirituality, finances, career. I might be missing one, but you kind of, if they're not well-rounded, you need to focus on the ones that aren't as good. And if you focus on that, the other ones get better too. So I thought before I just keep what I'm good at, the finances and the uh, business building, um, but that didn't make the other things better. So uh, it's worked out really well. And long have I been married five years? So got married at 36. So that was the perfect time for us to get married. Bridget's three years younger than me. So um, yeah, it's been an interesting ride. Um, but we look at each other every day and say, glad we met when we did. Yeah. I've never done this with a guest before, but I actually have three of your ex-girlfriends in the waiting room. So I'm going to bring those. Oh, yeah. Them on yeah, let's and, do that. Uh, just kidding. Good. Uh, <laughs> Some of the, the funny, you're like this then. The funny the funny thing is in my office, they make fun of me because some of, uh, without giving out information, the funny thing is Mark dates a girl and then they become a client. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, it's it was my business prospecting thing for a while. It was just funny how uh, oh, you date somebody, they, they get trust, you get to know them. Um, so well, that says I never a lot about bridges. your character, though. I mean, yeah, you never you know, burned bridges. You broke up with them, but they still became a client. <laughs> or so did, so did their mom. So did, it, it's funny how the world works. Yes, yeah, that is funny. Um, yes. Well, what I mean, what advice would you have for another career professional that has uh children later on in life in their late 30s uh early uh yeah you you know this piece of advice is coming and i didn't even do it till later either is um you know have fun obviously but also travel i'm in the phase of traveling a lot harder than it used to be um and you have to be very intentional about travel if you don't plan it it doesn't happen Right. And so I think people that are young and at the time when I took my first bigger trip, I said no for, I don't know, eight years to my mentor who kept inviting me to go to China. I said, I, I don't really have the time. and I, I don't really have the money at the time. And then I thought about it. And I thought if I said that for the next 30 years, then I wouldn't go anywhere and I wouldn't have had the experience, nor would I have got the motivation to kind of stretch and grow a little bit. And oddly enough, you stretch and grow a little bit, things find a way to afford themselves. And so um, I encourage all people to travel. And a lot of those people that are interested in it, for a while there, I was adding them into my list of invites because you know this now is that I try to organize an annual trip. Pandemic's put a, a halt on some of it the last few years, but tried to do an annual international trip. Um, and it was just friends that I'd invite. And I, we can go into that if you want to of how that started. But uh, traveling's definitely a priority for people. Um, and then I always say fail forward. Cause you know, if you're, if you're, um, my dad will probably listen to this. He's very conservative and never took risks in life. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that drove me to say, you know, I got to take risks because those are the things that even if they don't pay off, they create good stories and learning opportunities. Um, but take risk and, uh, fail forward is kind of, and the other quote I live by is if I, I, if I did everything again in life, I would have failed or done the same things, but failed earlier because you, you really kind of bounce back if they're right. Yeah, no, great advice. Um, so when you started at Cersei, you know, so now you're 
I'll say a real financial advisor, what, what kind of was the biggest surprise, uh, you know, at that point in your career? Like you were like, Oh my God, I didn't know. This. Oh yeah. Um, well, I went to college learning about financial planning, but I, I come from a background where, you know, my parents still had enough money to retire, but Topeka money is different than Kansas city money is, which is different than East coast money you know, and the family and the dynamics and transition. Um, and Mike Searcy had built a firm of helping with physicians. So my job was to come in and support the client base he built over that time, 30 years probably. And so all these people are 60 year old successful physicians. And I'm just like, does, does, does everybody have money? <laughs> like, like, and I was new to Johnson County and Johnson County is a wonderful place to live and work. And yes, there is poverty, but I was working with people that had money, not the other side of what also happens and that I do an outreach for through charity work in Overland Park. But um, so I was just surprised about how much money people had. And then, you know, at that time we're fee only firm now, but we were not then. And the only thing we sold that got a commission on was life, disability, and long-term care. And I was, you know, it was part of a financial plan, but I was like, this is just for security. Um, first few years at Searcy, I found out that people do die from whatever, you know, there, there's a reason for life insurance. Someone gets cancer and dies at 35. That shit happens. People get disabled where they can't work and their whole life changes. Disability insurance can at least make sure that's fine. And long-term care, seeing a lot of that now, it's people can live a long time in a state where they can't take care of themselves. And the expense for that is expensive. <laughs> um, so long-term care was kind of a, a, we sold some of that in the first few years of my career because we were still selling insurance. So I was just surprised that thought you just sold these things and nobody ever made a claim, but uh, life happens. It's interesting. Um, and you have to be there for the transition, the support of the survivor, or, you know, um, it's uh, a job that can be very fulfilling, but it's also the job where you end up at these people's funerals because they're your friends too. Um, so money and uh, just life transitions just continue to happen when you help and know enough people. Yeah, because when you're in your early, mid-20s, you're not thinking about death, right? No. Yeah, so you're one of the few guests, as we uh, I mentioned earlier, that uh, not only knew in college uh, what they wanted to do, at least after the first semester, but also basically worked for the same company their entire career. So you've had a great career there, but you've become uh, an owner, partner, and a CFO. So you, now you're the CFO. So what... So you you know you you spent vast majority of your career as a wealth advisor. You're you know one of the best in Kansas City, but now you're like you have to wear another hat. So what was your approach to becoming the the CFO? Uh, you know how did you prepare yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. I'll back up. I didn't bring on any business the first five years of working at Searcy, and so for a while there, when the first five years, four years, three years there was the question of will this plan work because it's hard to buy a company that's not growing anymore because when the founder leaves, that is the source for all new business and we're managing a client base of 70 year olds, it's a dying business. Right. And so I knew that at some point that if, and Mike has always been open with me, Mike seriously, he goes, if you want to be an owner, the plan is for you to be an owner, but I'm going to set you up for success and you're going to have to do things that aren't comfortable. And I am definitely not a salesman, but he says you, you just need to plant seeds everywhere you go and help. If you're in this business long enough, it will bless you in ways you never imagined. And, you know, 17, 18 years later, it's true. But he's like, 
after I passed these exams, <laughs> he, I, you know, as a student, you're like, I've made it. I'm great in financial planning. I'm a CFP, you know? Um, he said, yeah, but you really suck at tax. And I was like, yeah, that's true. So I had to get another credential. So I, I did all this back work of knowledge before I went out and tried to prove to people that paying me was worth the knowledge I was providing. Cause I wasn't comfortable doing that. If the mistakes or the firm had a reputation for helping and I could lean on Mike, but I also didn't want to bring on clients and drag them to the next place. Like I didn't like it here. Will you follow me to the next place? And then that's a whole issue too. Um, but I, I think to prep me, um, after I got credentialed, Mike said, you just need to get involved and get to know people. People, you're a nice person, Mark, people like you go out and get involved. Um, and at that time I didn't, he said, are you, is there a not-for-profit you like at that point in life, life hadn't happened. Like right now, my mom just passed away from leukemia and cancer. So I'm passionate about, you know, LLS and then, um, kids and I have young kids so early ed, I'm involved in growing futures. So there's boards that I'm interested in. And by the time I didn't know, and he said, well, Rotary just introduces you to a lot of different charities and leaders within the community. You should come to my Rotary club. And I said, I do not want to go to Rotary where you go every week. I don't want to be under your shadow. Um, so I, I did the research and joined a different club and I credit the Overland Park South Rotary club for a lot of leadership development. It's where I got a lot of mentors that helped me, of course, meet more people. But when I was becoming an owner and I had legal documents I was reviewing and I had, you know, lawyers in my club that I could ask and bounce questions off about buying into the business and accountants. And then it just became a network of friends. Um, some of which, you know, have become clients over the years, but Rotary really opened me up, um, to getting comfortable in front of groups and presenting and, um, fast forward served in some leadership capacities in Rotaries and traveled internationally for Rotary to the international convention to Portugal. This has probably been nine years ago. So it's a, that really prepped me for the social part of it. Um, in my business, you can't do everything. So, you know, Mike did it as a one man show for, for a long time. I came on and was supporting him and Mike recognized that I, you can't be good at everything, especially if it's a firm that's growing beyond you. So he was strategic in finding other, they're now partners that are talented in other things. Remember I said in the beginning in college, I love math and spreadsheets that's led into loving watching profit and loss statements, figuring out where you can cut expenses, what you can invest in to make the bottom line higher. And of course, if I'm in business development, contributing to the bottom line. So I just love that part of it. And I'm very organized. Um, so that, that CFO responsibility became me. What I'm not good at, and I knew this from the beginning is operations. I don't want to, I wanted to be a financial planner, not CEO that has to, you know, figure out where we're going in the future and what technology we should use and um, what we should invest in. And that's Jessica, who's also a partner. And then I didn't want to do compliance. Uh, John does compliance and he also does HR. I, I am not good at managing people. And then Ryan loves, he's our CIO. He loves, even though I'm a financial planner, I don't spend all day looking at the stock market on another screen. People might think I do that. I, I do more of the planning and meeting with clients and have a team that does more of the research. And I'm on the team that meets weekly to look at that. But this all leads into surround your surround yourself with people that are better at things than you and do what you're good at and like. And if you do that, everybody thrives and the business thrives. Um, and so I just kind of fell into being fortunate to pick the thing I like because I was the first partner that came on board. 
And then we knew we had to find the things that I wasn't good at to fill in those spaces over the next few years. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's, that's a great strategy and it's smart and that's what you should be doing. So, um, you, you know, I, I love your volunteering and, you know, we, we've talked about that in the past. I mean, you've also gotten a lot of, uh, I'll say accolades, awards. Um, I know you're part of the, the Centurions, I forget what class, but talk a little bit about Centurions uh, because it's, a, it's an honor to be elected and become part of that. So talk a little bit about that, but I would also like you to share with our listeners, like, did you have a goal of being in Centurions? Because I will say, I don't know how long it's been here, uh, you know, uh, as in Kansas City, but like, I knew nothing about it, like in mm -hmm. my early career. So it's like, uh, and I think it's phenomenal. And it's a and it's a great honor to be in, in Centurions. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I kind of what led me into meeting people is another quote that I like a lot of is, the difference between who you are today and who you are in five years, 10 years, 20 years is the the books you read and the people you meet. So I'm, I'm a book reader. We talked about that earlier, but meeting new people. I didn't know what Centurions was either, but I knew that there was opportunities to get involved in the community, to learn about the community you live in. My parents had careers where you go to work, you know the people at your work, you go home. You might have, people might have church, they might have this, but I knew I wanted to be in the community that I was participating in. And in order to do that, you've got to be proactive enough to get outside of your bubble. Um, Rotary did that for me, right? But Centurions um, is what's their motto, learn, serve, lead. And it's organized by the chamber. My efforts in meeting lots of people over time led me to meet a handful of Centurions that said, you need to go into this. Not so much for meeting people, but because if you're going to be a learn leader in the city and you're going to push for change, you need to know how it operates. And for those that don't know Centurions, it's a leadership two-year commitment. I was the class of 2019, so I got it in before the pandemic. It was a to totally different experience during the pandemic. But once a month, you um, it's also organized by the Centurions themselves. You do a retreat up to the Elms at the time, get to know these 80 other leaders in Kansas City. And I will tell you, for me... Um, I live and work in South Overland Park and it's not very diversified um, from uh, age, sex, uh, sex orientation in terms of gay, Hispanic, you know, minorities. Centurions makes it an effort to get leaders with different backgrounds because you need different opinions to continue to evolve. So that was awesome for me to meet people. And it wasn't just Kansas City's big. There's leaders in Liberty. It's total opposite end. So um, I met people I had never known before and also once a month, you learn a part of the city, if it's the hospital system, if it's, uh, you know, hospitality in Kansas City and how we're growing for conventions, if it's um, all sorts of interesting things that you take a whole day to lead and hear speakers. And then once a year, you take a trip to a peer city or a stretch city to have fun, but also learn from those cities leaders on ideas to improve Kansas City because the people in Centurions are kind of the ones making it happen. They're also not only business leaders, they're not for profits, they're civic people. Um, so that's that's good because a lot of people I meet are in business for profit. Um, so I would say Centurions and the trips for us, I love talking about them. The stretch city for us in 2019 was Austin, Texas. And that used to not be the huge city it is. So it was interesting to see and learn from the leaders because you think of Austin as a great place with growth, but because of that, it has its own issues. And the year before was a peer city, which was Cincinnati. No reason to ever go to Cincinnati, in my opinion, but that's what people say about Kansas City, too. 
but they had a brand new airport, which now we have fast forward, right? They had a light rail system that was failing where ours is really doing well. They had two states and a river that divided them. And so some economics, some teams that work together where Kansas City has this divide and Kansas and Missouri don't work well together. So I, I love the fact that you could go to places you would normally go and get into the city like you wouldn't just visiting it yourself. Um, but I I tell everybody that's interested in learning um, how the city operates to consider centurions for a lot of reasons. Yeah, and just to be clear, it's it's a it's a nomination process. You go through interviews. interviews. It's not like you just sign up for centurions. It's an honor to be. It's an elite group every year in different classes. And uh, I don't remember, but it's one of those things that I didn't get in the first year. <laughs> so anybody that's tried to get in because they only have so many people, um, it's okay to try again, and uh, because they have so many slots they got to fill, and there's a lot of good leaders. Um, but that didn't, that just means it's not your time. So I encourage people to keep applying because it's worth it, even if you have to wait a while. And the typical age, just for people considering it, I was 35 at the time, just about to get married. So it's a good time. But there's also fifty, you know, older people that are their kids are out of the house, but they're still growing in their own careers. So it's kind of 30 to 50 year old leaders in the city, and they become your new best friends for two years. And my wife was, you don't need more best friends. So it was hard to balance the, you know, needing to be at home with family and this new social outlet that was a lot of fun too. Just talk about in terms of how you serve your clients and, you know, kind of, you know, there's a lot of wealth advisors out there. Um, but, you know, what makes you different? What kind of is your superpower? If, if, if you, if you call it yeah. that. Um, and we can talk about the subsidiary company we have too, and how Alos has grown. But part of my background in family studies and human services and money therapy, and we actually, with all new clients, we want to get to know them on a different level. And sometimes they don't understand it in the first year because why aren't we talking about money? Well, we have to know what your priorities are. And my background in you know some of that money therapy that I took in college and how they grew up, understanding their money script and why they act the way they do. We actually have them. Um, I think your friend Terry is now with Culture Index. We have clients um, take Culture Index and have a conversation about what that looks like from a, a way that they operate so we can help them overcome their own barriers to moving forward on whatever a priority is. All of which may have nothing to do with money, but it is their vision for their life because if you don't know what your vision is, and money and all these things we help with are the tools to achieve the vision, then it's not really, if you're unsatisfied, unhappy, then what's it worth having a lot of money to retire? You really got to focus on what you want. And a lot of people don't do that. Um, they just want to know that they have enough to get by. So we, that's important too. Um, this really lends to why I appreciate a lot of the coaching and the life stuff, the stuff that Kay's helped with too. And I'm no coach by any means, but we do our part to make sure that we're the person pushing them and holding them accountable to the things they say, even if it's outside of finance. Um, so that, that some people don't appreciate that, like just get good returns on my money and tell me what to do. That's fine too. But we attract more of the people that find the value. Um, and matter of fact, someone recently came in and they're hiring us and they, they work for another finance firm you would recognize, but they want the outside perspective outside of the advisors they know on their team, but also to be the I will call it a mediator between helping, in this case, the wife understand the long-term plan so that if something happens to him, and this is a young guy, but he wants her to participate in the process and understand the pros and the cons of the decisions that they're making today, 
if she wants to be here someday, something might have to change here. And instead of him telling it and I become the deliverer of the news, or some people have never got on the same page until they're sitting in the office with financial planners saying, what does the future look like? Or what does a hundred years look like in the legacy you want to leave? Most young people are just trying to get through the day with their kids. So we slow them down enough to have them think through that. Because if you don't slow down and think then and write and have accountability, a lot of that stuff never happens. Um, I like to think that all a lot of a lot of financial planners do that same thing, but unfortunately, a lot of them don't too. Um, but that's it's a wide industry, and there's uh, there's good people and there's bad people in the financial services industry. So I don't know if that makes this different, but that's what I like about what I do for them. I I find my satisfaction out of that piece of it. Mark, there's two groups I'd love to help uh, with great uh, leaders uh, like yourself and and their advice and insight. So the first group is recent college graduates. So now you've graduated from your college or university, you're about to embark on your first professional job post-college and, and your professional career. What advice do you have for them as they do their job search uh, for their first job? I would definitely say stay connected in a way that's manageable with everybody you meet. You never know what's going to come back around, right? Um, I'm a I'm OCD about a CRM system, keeping people's contact information, finding a way to stay in front of them. And that can be a number of things through, um, if it's business through my company newsletter, if it's personal, it's through connecting on the social media channels. Um, and then also and Mick Johnson will lead to knowing this, trying to get to know people on a different level and being open about and vulnerable about, about who you are. So then you really get to know somebody. Otherwise it's the small talk. So like Mick, I try to jump right in and get to know people. And then also I'm vulnerable, so it allows them to be. So I would tell, get to know people on a different basis. Remember the small things about them and the way you remember, because at one some point you meet a lot of people and you can't remember everything is the documentation side of it and the CRM side of it, um, client relationship management system. Um, and I always say, I try to coach even my team is personal notes matter. So it goes back to my promptings book I mentioned earlier. It's crazy how much... Um, you know, people will still have a card I sent them on their desk. And sometimes I personalize it with, with photos, you know, three years later, or it's just a way to, to show you care, thank them, appreciate them. Um, and prompting says do it for a lot of reasons. Cause of course the company wants you to send more of their cards, <laughs> but I will tell you that it does. Um, it makes a big impact on a lot of people, no matter how you do it handwritten or computer or whatever. Yeah. I will say you were kind enough to send me, um, a card when I launched the podcast and I literally had it up on my whiteboard, you know, taped up there. It was a, it was a the cover of the card was the artwork for the podcast. Uh, so yeah. I, and w w a very nice note inside. So I, I love that advice. Um, how about uh, the second group is now you've become a leader. So now you have people that you're responsible for at your organization and, you know, before you were an individual contributor, what advice do you have for them as they begin their leadership journey and that are responsible for a team of people? Yeah, that's that's something that needs I am continuing to evolve on because sometimes I like to just get stuff done. Hide and I'm in my home office right now, but I have an office where our team is. Um, you also I'm really good at getting to know people out in the community, but you also need to get to know the people in your office. <laughs> Um, get to know them on a vulnerable way, 
do things with them. They become your family. And as you know, you spend more time with people at work than you spend with your family sometimes. Um, and I continue to struggle with this because if I'm doing that, I'm not being productive at work. But if you can invest in them and they feel comfortable with who you are and, and they become more willing to help you on business, personal, and I would also say, let people run with things. For a while there, I was, I can just do it. I can just do it. And then I wondered why I was working later and nobody else was. People want to help you if you create a culture for it. You just need to continue to teach them, delegate, or say, run this however you want. If they're the trusting team member, that gives them more responsibility and confidence in doing other things later. Um, so I would say lean on the team. And in, in my business, it's it's not building silos. It's not Mark's clients or, you know, Brenda's clients or John, it's the the company. So if, if I win, they win, if they win, we win, it's, it's kind of, you got to create a culture like that. And culture is important. And it can also be, we've had experience bringing someone in that didn't match the culture that can be interesting as well. They don't, they don't last long and they elect themselves out to some extent because they don't feel comfortable. Um, but you also, you know, this, you have to protect the culture too. And now we're having cultures with virtual people, which that's probably been Jessica, our CEOs in Phoenix. Mike, the founder, has moved to Florida. Our marketing person that was here is now in Omaha. And now we've started hiring people in different cities. So even though they're not in your office every day, there's a similar overarching culture and a proactive way that leaders need to continue to reach out and talk to them because you don't sit with them after a meeting to just chat. It's the client meeting's done. You log off the Zoom and you you don't talk to them like you would in the office. So that's a, I think a lot of companies are figuring out how to do that. And I struggle with it because I'm like, done, go to the next thing. But you you got to be making efforts to continue to check in with them in different ways. Yeah, no, that I love that advice. And I love your vulnerability saying, you know, you're still on your leadership journey. And as we all are, no matter how many years of experience doing it, because it's a, it's not a destination. So uh, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the corporate couch today. You're a gift to the Kansas City community. I love that you love to help people no matter, you know, what, you know, stage of life they're in, uh, not only on financial advice, but just connecting people that can help each other. So uh, I really appreciate coming on today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Love the conversation with Mark. He's just one of the most generous connectors in Kansas City. He's just always trying to add value to people. And I love his approach. I mean, he'll meet with a, a CEO, um, executives that have, you know, uh, lost their jobs or have retired. And he'll meet with a recent college graduate to try to help them navigate his jobs, you know, their job search. He's just a really, he's just that old school Bob Berg, the go-giver mentality. And it's, it's, it's fun. And he just loves K-State. He bleeds K-State <laughs> purple. Like, um, it's so funny. Uh, and I, I didn't know he was a motocross racer. All sorts of stuff that you yeah. learn from all this. And what about his number, 420? Uh, <laughs> you know, that was interesting. He's pretty clean cut. So that he said we were going to get into another episode to talk about his motocross racing days, I guess. <laughs> he was apparently a, a different person at the time, than I, I guess. I don't know. The one thing we didn't talk about that I know about him, his follow-up skills are just 
second to none. Like it, it's almost robotic. It's uh, I, it's crazy, and that's why we got into. Uh, I asked them about having kids so late in life because you know you get into a pattern. You know he was single later on in life. I mean it's all relative, but uh, you know before he got married and had kids later. Um, he just had a second child uh, recently because I want to understand that because you get in, in set patterns and how he's changed and all that, but he's still incredible on follow Yeah, me. yeah, it's rough. I'm I'm very familiar with having children late in life because uh, I was 40 uh, when my first and only child was born, and boy, it everything goes upside down uh, when that happens. Yeah. Especially you, you were pretty set in your ways. I was very much set in my ways, and uh, we had a lot of adjustments to make for the next uh, about 22 years. And then, <laughs> <laughs> then finally he grew out of it. I love it. I love it. What was your take on uh, Mark's conversation? You know, we always talk about the career paths that people take, and Mark had one of the most direct career paths we <laughs> we have ever seen. It's... Um, we get some people that zigzag all over the place. And uh, Mark said, you know, from the very beginning, I knew I was going to be a financial planner. And it's it's funny because that is so much not what his parents did. His parents were both blue collar, you know, kind of factory workers. Uh, you punch in, you punch out, and you put in your hours, put in your hours until you, until you retire, and then you're done. And um, that's not at all what you know what describes what a financial planner would be uh, but he knew that immediately even though he really didn't have a lot with it but his am i right his his father had given him the the uh, experience in how to financially plan even though i don't think he was intending for that to be a career path but somehow he um he saved up enough money and financed his college and financed his motorcycle. Um, yeah, he set him up with the financial planner and that's where Mark learned from, which, uh, yeah, was incredible. But, um, but that, but it's interesting that that's not, I don't think that's what his father had intended. His father was doing it because it was the right thing to do. Right. right? Um, and uh, he, and he was gifting his child with this knowledge, but I don't think he, I don't think he was, intending it to be, oh, by the way, this is what your career is going to be. Oh, but no, absolutely not. But that's the way that it turned out. Right. And I think the message for our, our listeners then is it, 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 you don't know what it's going to be. You know, you, you don't, your, your life is the product of all the experiences that you've had leading up to that. Um, but you don't know what the final outcome is going to be until it is. And so... I I just found this whole concept of all of our people that we've been talking to and their in their individual career paths and it seems like everybody has a different career path and it's appropriate for whoever it is that we're talking to at that moment in time um which is uh which is kind of a nice lesson to learn in life yeah and it's and it's amazing that you know no one really Except Mark, you know, no, you took it straight through. I mean, he talked about architectural architecture and engineering, but I mean, like he knew um, 
you know, what he wanted to do and, and is and, still doing it. Right. And that's it's, certainly not what I did. And I, that's right. not what you did. No. no. Uh, you know, somebody asked me once if I had a career strategy. I said, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should have, but. <laughs> I had a history teacher one time that told me that uh, we, we literally go through life walking backwards that it's it's very easy to tell what's going on behind us but you know going forward you can only see peripherally i thought that was pretty smart interesting interesting what other leadership advice do you have for our great listeners today the uh, advice that we're going to get today comes from that great philosopher stephen wright who one time said a conscience is what hurts when all your other parts feel so good. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.